So it's safe to say that the San Diego Padres, I'm sorry, the Slam Diego Padres are the best team in baseball right now. That's not my opinion, but that is merely from statistics. Go Padres! Welcome everyone to another episode of the Chaldean Priest Show. This is Father Daniel, and today we're going to be talking about discipleship. Let's get started. I hope you're all having a great Memorial Day. May God bless all of the men and women who have served this country and who still continue to serve faithfully and diligently. May God bless you all. And who knows what this country would look like if it wasn't for all of the men and women in uniform. May God bless you all. So today we will be talking about discipleship, like I mentioned in the beginning. And the premise of this podcast today will be a basilica hymn, and no other than the Chaldean liturgy. And this is typically chanted, actually, on the first Sunday of the liturgical season of the apostles. So we are now now entering a new liturgical season in the Chaldean church. And like many of our other basilica hymns, this one is written by a church father, and it's, of course, in the early centuries of the church, there is no real indication as to who exactly wrote this, but let me read it for you guys. So it says this, The Holy Spirit, by His power, affects and does all things through His gifts. Indeed, He supplies prophecy, perfects priests in His grace, is able to bring wisdom to the simple. For to fishermen did He reveal the knome of divinity. And in His power He presides over the awesome liturgies of the church, O kin of the glorious nature, O kin of the adorable inhabitants of the Father and the only begotten Son, O Holy Spirit, glory to you. So what's really centralized in this Basilica hymn today is the idea of the Holy Spirit working in a few ways, in prophecy, in perfecting priests, in the power that's being given to the church to, to be able to perform the liturgies, for example, mass and ministering the other sacraments of the church. In the Chaldean church, we historically call these things mysteries, the mysteries of the church, where you are invited to enter into these mysteries through the sacraments. So we can say that we meet Christ in the sacramental economy of the church. And by economy, I don't mean the financial standings of a certain society, but by economy, I'm referring to it in the theological sense, which in the original Greek, it's oikonomia, which means basically a household, where we see how God reveals his work through salvation history and through basically his household, which is his creation. And what I'm going to do first, before we dive into the New Testament, I'm going to be sort of going back and forth into a few books in the Old Testament, just so we can solidify that basis and understand how discipleship worked in the Old Testament to better understand how it was revealed in the New Testament. And just like our beloved doctor of the church, St. Augustine says, the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And that's really how Scripture works. It is the living Word of God that builds on each other, 
And in order to understand its very purpose or what the certain author of that specific book in the Old Testament or gospel in the New Testament or epistle in the New Testament, whatever it may be, we need to understand that this is a reality that is indeed what conforms us to the Word of God. So, in Aramaic, the word for disciple is talmida, which means disciple or student. And in the Hebrew, talmida means to learn, someone who is learning from someone else. So moving on, in the first book of Samuel, we see how the Spirit of God comes upon Saul. And what happens when the Spirit of God comes upon Saul? And this has to do, and this is a direct parallel, actually, to the Basilica hymn that I read today, where we see how in the, in the first line it says, Holy Spirit affects and supplies prophecy. And that's what happened when the Spirit of God came upon Saul. It began to change his heart. And that's what God does, right? God gives us the tools necessary to accomplish our tasks. And Saul did have a great task in front of him. And I want to read something from the Catechism really quick. So in Catechism, paragraph 900, it says this, Since like all the faithful, lay Christians are entrusted by God with the apostolate by virtue of their baptism and confirmation. So here it's saying that even lay people share in the common priesthood of Christ. So it's not, so a discipleship, it's not necessarily set apart for priests and religious and anyone else working in the church. No, everyone who has been baptized and confirmed, who shares in the common priesthood of Christ, we are all called to discipleship. And it continues. They have the right and duty, individually or grouped, in associations, to work so that the divine message of salvation may be known and accepted by all men throughout the earth. This duty is the more pressing when it is only through them that men can hear the gospel and know Christ. Their activity in ecclesial communities is so necessary that, for the most part, the apostolate of the pastors cannot be fully effective without it. End quote. And I agree totally with what the catechism says here. Because, for example, I'll tell you guys about myself. So here at the cathedral that I serve at, you know, we have many, many youth groups and Bible studies and first communion programs, catechism programs, administering the sacraments. I mean, we have so much going on here. You know, we have over, we try to count, we have probably over... 10 youth groups and Bible studies. We have one massive First Communion programs where we give First Communion to roughly 200 kids a year. And we have a catechism program that has probably over 100 students that come to it. And remember, all of these Bible studies and youth groups, they require a lot of preparation. And if I were to do this alone, I mean, it wouldn't, it, it physically would not be possible for me to do. And that's why in my youth groups and Bible studies and First Communion program, everything else that I have going on, there are leaders, there are teachers, there are people that have different positions in making sure the functions of all of these programs are running smoothly and are able to have the weight and quality that they deserve. So granted, discipleship is for everyone. 
So sometimes we can probably get lazy with ourselves and think that, okay, this is only set apart for priests and religious. No, it's not. Remember, I was once not a priest, right? And I know what it feels like to be a layperson. And that could be a very big temptation, but we're all called to that, okay? So moving on. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we see Elijah and Elisha and how Elisha is the student of Elijah, but then Elijah ends up going up to heaven in a chariot. And what happens after this? The spirit comes down to Elisha, and Elisha ends up becoming his successor. And we also see a parallel with this, with Jesus, when he ascends to heaven. And what happens after Jesus ascends to heaven? He sends his spirit and begins the church. The church is born when he sends his spirit. And what this comes to show us is there are spiritual fathers who bring you into the spiritual world because our physical fathers bring us into the material world. So these two aspects show us how discipleship can be that much more fruitful and work harmoniously with the prophets in the Old Testament and the eternal plan of God in our lives. And I want to make something clear. Discipleship is not merely passing down certain information or saying certain things that you think you're supposed to. It's not about passing down content to one another, but it's an entire worldview. It's a conformity to the life of Christ. That's what discipleship is. So it's not like it's a part-time job for someone. No, it should be our lives. It is our vocation that we all share together. So moving on to the New Testament now. So we saw in this Basilica hymn at the second half of it where it says that the Holy Spirit presides over the awesome liturgies of the church. And now I want to shift gears to John's gospel, because in John's gospel, in the first chapter of John's gospel, he shows us how the disciples encountered him. He said, come and see, when Jesus says, come and see. So the disciples were really attracted to Jesus for who he was, especially, uh, we especially see this in John's gospel, because there was something that was different in the interior life of Christ that was enough to to follow him. That was enough for them to follow him. Because the way we really live our interior life indicates how successful we'll be in the apostolic mission of becoming disciples. And it says a lot about who we are. Because if these these disciples were looking at Christ in anything other than who he was in his interior life then they were missing the entire point of who Christ is. And that's what we need to do. So when I was talking about conforming ourselves to Christ, it's conforming our interior life, not only exterior life and discipleship, but interior life has a substantial effect on how much closer we can get to Christ. So going back to the Gospel of John, so what John ends up showing us in uh, chapter 1, verse 40, is he Jesus starts naming the apostles by name. And there's a big significance here because in 
opposite what the devil does is the devil knows our name, but he doesn't call us by our name like Christ does. The devil calls us by our sins. He wants to bring shame to our lives and completely crush our discipleship. But God knows us by our names, and he knows our sins. But even though he knows our sins, he will always call us by our names. And that's something to really meditate on and think about. A source that I would encourage all of you to read that has a lot to do with the aspect of discipleship is the Confessions by St. Augustine. And this can be maybe a difficult read for some, but and I might even do a podcast on it, but Augustine's Confessions really shows how he was able to transform his interior life from going uh, from one state of being and one way of life that he was living to being completely conformed to Christ. Obviously not in a beatific way because he was still here living on earth, but of course he then uh, became St. Augustine. But he shows us this transformation. And we also walk through the life of Augustine with Monica, his mother, and really how much she was suffering and how much she wanted discipleship for her son. So please remember that discipleship is meant for all of us, and we are all called to follow Christ on this mission. And we really saw how it transforms from the Old Testament to the New Testament to us now having been exposed to all of these truths of Christ. Now we really are held culpable on what we do with these truths that are exposed to us. So, without further ado, let's go to the lines then. I know I mentioned on my Twitter that I was going to be speaking about the situation with Father James Altman, but I will save that for another upcoming episode. But today in the lines, then, I want to talk and make something clear about devotional prayers and liturgical prayers, because sometimes these two things could be confusing. For example, some people put devotions over the liturgy and vice versa. And just to make something clear, I mean, they're both prayers. They're both good to do. You should do both of them. But... Just as the Catechism tells us, the liturgy is the extension of Mass, so the divine office, evening prayer, morning prayer, anything that has to do with the liturgy of the Church, that is what comes first, and that should be priority. So there's nothing wrong with praying the rosary. I encourage all of you to pray a rosary. I pray a daily rosary myself. There's nothing wrong with doing novenas and any other devotional prayers that there are. I mean, there's many to choose from, but... The liturgy is living the life of the church. The liturgy is attached to the church, and like the Catechism says, an extension of the Mass. So participating in the liturgy. Actually, we had a, I don't know if any of you guys have seen our episodes of Chai Chat. So it's on our diocesan YouTube page. It's called Chai Chat. Myself and my other brother priest, Father Andrew, Father Enkiro, and Father Simon, we discussed this. So if you want to see different opinions on this and different views and the way we approach devotions and 
the liturgy. I would encourage all of you to go and watch that episode uh, because I think you'd find it very fruitful. But again, if you don't pray the liturgy, I would encourage you to do so. I, If you want to participate in the Chaldean liturgy, actually, there's an app called the Emmanuel Prayer app. You can download it on iPhone and I think Android, but don't quote me on that. But it's very easy to use. You'll see night prayer there, evening prayer, morning prayer. And uh, it's very fruitful. You know, it's very nice to start your day with morning prayer uh, in that aspect or end your day with evening prayer. But devotions should certainly not be a replacement of the liturgy. So that is my episode for today. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Again, this is Father Daniel with the Chaldean Priest Show, where I speak about and comment on the Chaldean liturgy and extract the fruits that come with it, because it is a very ancient liturgy. Our Chaldean Church Fathers wrote it uh, during the very early centuries of the Church, and it has been passed down for thousands of years. And we pray it, and we live it until today. So, May God bless you all, and as always, see you next time.